The following program is being brought to you on the Grain Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. We're going to be talking today about climate change and why people are talking so much about 350 parts per million of carbon in our atmosphere. My guest today is Dr. William Mumau, and he's a professor of international environmental policy at Tufts University and has been the director of the International Environment and Resource Policy Program at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, Tufts University, since, 19, since 1992. In addition to his work at the Fletcher School, Dr. M- Professor Mumau is also director of Tufts Institute of the Environment, which coordinates a variety of environmental programs in research, education, activism, outreach, and service at all of Tufts University's various school, varied schools and colleges. And I have found that uh, whenever Bill McKibben comes to town to the Boston area, one is often finds Professor Mumau at the panel on the panel with uh, McKibben, promoting what the vital work of addressing climate change that needs to be done. Professor, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Rob. It's very nice to be part of this. I think it's a, it's, it's a great service you're providing. Uh, tell us about uh, what's going on in terms of the nation with uh, climate change. Um, it, it, this is clearly a, a half-full, half-empty kind, of, um, uh, kind, of, kind of issue, I'm afraid. Um, as uh, many people know, we um, uh, back in the in the um, uh, late in the spring, uh, the uh, House of Representatives passed a uh, piece of legislation that would have the um, uh, our emissions in the United States drop by 83 percent by 2050 through an elaborate uh, cap and trade system with all sorts of uh, of um, uh, interactive parts, and, and I think nobody's quite sure how all those parts fit together, but it's a 1,500-or-something-page bill, and it, uh, it uh, uh, was responsive, let's say, to a lot of interest, uh, and yet the overall goal is really there, which is, which is actually uh, considered enormous progress, I think. Um, in, um, uh, right now, uh, in the Senate, uh, a bill has been introduced by... Um, Senator Boxer of California and Senator Kerry of Massachusetts, uh, which has uh, pretty much uh, similar goals, a little more aggressive in the short term in terms of how much we reduce by 2020. Uh, but it it um, it is also basically a cap and trade system, which we can talk about later if you're if you think your uh, listeners are, are are interested in that that level of uh, 
policy discussion. Um, but um, it's pretty clear. In fact, I think Carol Browner in the White House has said there will there will not be a final bill in time for the upcoming negotiations in Copenhagen, Denmark, in December, uh, which is a disappointment to many people. Uh, on the other hand, the Environmental Protection Agency, using the authority given it by the Supreme Court, has um, uh, uh, stated that it it is going to start regulating. Uh, emissions and get them down by 80% by 2050 through regulations. And that will go into effect unless the Congress comes up with a uh, different uh, set of laws. Yeah, it's and, great that the EPA has a big stick like that. That's to, right, they to, do. You know, say and, that, and, 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 and it's interesting because I don't, think, I don't think they really want to have to use it, and I know that many businesses don't want them to have to use it. Uh, which is a way to put pressure on everybody to say, well, then let's get some good legislation in place through the Congress. Yes, uh, and so it's, it's important to have that back up. And then finally, uh, just, oh, yeah. just the other day, uh, earlier this week, uh, President Obama uh, urged, uh, or not urged, but, uh, but ordered that all federal agencies, except for the Defense Department, would have to reduce their emissions by 20% by, um, by 2020. And it's, it's more elaborate than that with more details. But uh, but basically saying uh, we are actually going to implement some of these things that have been on the books and we're going to uh, implement uh, 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 new reductions um, uh, just just through executive order. It, it, we, we, in the details, we tend to miss, you know, how significant, what a turning of the aircraft carrier, both the House bill, the Senate bill, and... Obama, the president's announcement that agencies must reduce. I mean, this is like un-American. I mean, it's a, <laughs> we've been, you know, all talking about gross national products. Let's and, just say, <laughs> and people, you know, think that, you know. So, tell us a little bit about how difficult it is to what a sea change these three things represent. Well, um, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, if you go back uh, since. Well, the, the issue of climate change first came up on the American political agenda in the 1980s. And uh, there was actually some movement then to start doing something about it. There were hearings held in Congress, and uh, and various uh, things were proposed. But um, but then but then it it, it largely vanished. Uh, actually, starting with the Clinton administration and going through, and and then of course it got buried during the Bush administration. And so we we basically lost 16 years when we could have been making a transformation. What's interesting is how uh, European countries have moved very aggressively. Um, I mean, Germany, with 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 very poor solar energy potential, has over half of the rooftop solar panels in the world installed uh, because they've set policies to do so. Um, until last year, they were the leading country in installed wind capacity, although their total wind wind potential was about the same as the state of Pennsylvania whereas we've got 49 other states' worth of potential besides. Uh, so we took over last year, but uh, but both of us are about to be swamped by uh, green innovations from China, uh, which is a real surprise to most people. Um, yes, have you seen the, the cover of Science Magazine? Yes. Those windmills are right next to the Great Wall of China. I know. It's pretty stunning, isn't it? Um, I bet I bet there was not a not a um, a huge outcry um, uh, against uh, putting it in a historic district or something. But not my backyard. I not know my backyard. Right. Damaged. But. <laughs> no dead emperors objected, so they went ahead with it. Um, so it's it's um, 
it, I mean, so, so we have some things, some motion now. I mean, in the in in less than a first, well, within the first year, in less than a year, obviously, eight months or so, uh, the Obama administration has moved forward. Uh, the Congress has moved forward. Um, but fortunately, despite nothing happening at the federal level for 16 years, a lot has been going on at the state and uh, local city levels. And um, I mean, uh, the city of Chicago has a, um, a very uh, significant action plan. For example, I just happen to have a copy of it right here, uh, which uh, which has just uh, been been the result of a very intensive process with lots of of um, of. Uh, Input from a lot of different people, and and uh, uh, you know they they've pioneered urban green roofs, for example, in the city of Chicago. Which uh, well, I understand the mayor has a green roof. The, yeah, the the um, the city hall has a green roof. Yeah, um, and and you know just a little you know well what difference does that make kind of thing? Um, uh, that that roof is some thirty or forty or fifty degrees cooler on a hot summer day than the black roof on the similar building next to it. And um, one of the things I learned is that um, most of those kind of high-rise buildings have the air conditioning intake on the roof. So the hottest place. Yeah, the hottest place on the building. <laughs> so by having a green roof, uh, even if it did nothing in terms of general temperatures, it would um, have, a, have a significant effect on how much energy it takes to uh, air condition a building. Um, I mean, that's just one one little example, but it's uh, but this is happening all over. Mayor Bloomberg in New York has made uh, a big uh, effort uh, and and done uh, some extraordinary things in turning the Big Apple around. Um, Seattle has uh, taken a lead. Uh, even Salt Lake City, under its former mayor, has uh, has been a leader on uh, on climate change. Um, so in 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 red states and blue states and. Red cities and blue cities. Um, it's interesting what what strong support there is, and there's I think something like 800 mayors who have made a commitment of, uh, to a climate challenge, uh, uh, and and and, a, and agreed to the terms of it, and um, and um, you know I won't say all of those are delivering on their their commitment, but but uh, but certainly a lot of them are, and there's some impressive innovations taking place in cities across America. It's really remarkable how that at first it was all the talk was you have to go after the biggest problems. That's right. And how intractable yeah. those were and what happened instead. Well, I think what happened is is what you're implying. Uh people began, I mean, you know, it literally began with changing light bulbs, uh which um which you know, you could even train college professors to do that kind of thing. <laughs> 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 you heard I didn't say educate them. I said train them. Uh, uh, I mean, seriously, it it was. Um, I mean, in my town here in the Boston suburbs, um, it was a, a group of interns funded by a foundation in Boston uh, that uh, over two summers uh, worked in twenty five the Boston city of Boston in twenty five or so. Uh, uh, suburban communities, and and literally began by convincing local town officials to um, change the lights in the library and town hall, and um, then it became street lights and traffic lights, and then it became um, a uh, fuel efficient uh, vehicles. When we replaced that old truck, one of the uh, the principal one of the principal criteria for the next one is how how much uh, um, what's the miles per gallon? Yes, uh, and. Um, um, I mean, the mayor of Medford, uh, Mayor McGlynn here, where my university is, is uh, 
Uh, I mean, for example, he took, uh, I think it was $400,000 of the stimulus money and put it into improving the energy efficiency of the schools of Medford. Um, that reduces emissions right away, and it saves the, the, the city money. Uh, he's erected a wind turbine at the high school. Um, um, anyway, there, there, there's a lot of that sort of thing happening at the municipal level in ways that I think not many people anticipated. No, I really appreciate the new bike, bike lines, lanes being put in and so forth. Uh, we're out of time, so we're going to have a short break, and we'll come back to talk with Professor Mumau about changing light bulbs and changing international laws for ch- climate change. <laughs> listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Keep listening to the Green Talk Network for the latest in the sustainability and green movement for all of our futures, today and tomorrow. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We're back with Professor William Mumau from Tufts University. Uh, Professor, how can students uh, and listeners learn more about the work you're doing at Tufts? 
uh, I, the center that I direct is the Center for International Environment and Resource Policy, and uh, we do have a website. Can I read it out for Please. the uh, listeners? Um, HTTP, and then it's uh, colon slash slash Fletcher, F-L-E-T-C-H-E-R dot Tufts, T-U-F-T-S dot E-D-U slash I-E-R-P. And um, that will bring you to that site where we have work on the uh, both the international work we're doing. There's also uh, a uh, link to um, an article about um, a zero-net energy house I've built and some other things. Um, uh, we we got to hear about the house, but we'll come back to that after the break and okay. talk international now. Or what's sure. your pressure? Yeah. So uh, tell us about uh, some of the international work you've been involved with. Okay. The the um, as most of your listeners know the uh, uh, since December 2007, there's been a a process underway to negotiate a new climate treaty internationally that would uh, uh, come into effect in 20 uh, after 2012 when the Kyoto Protocol um, is um, uh, no no longer has uh, uh, reduction obligations in it. In other words, it only it only goes through 2012. And uh, that meeting will take place in Copenhagen in the in the first two weeks of December, and um, uh, those negotiations have been going on with sort of accelerated urgency and uh, and and with, uh, with with a sense of apprehension. I mean, it's not clear that the governments of the world will be able to um, get their act together in time for Copenhagen in December and uh, and and put together an agreement that has really meaningful reductions. Uh, the European Union has said that they will voluntarily reduce by 20% by 2020 and by 30% if the U.S. and some other countries will join them. Um, uh, the U.S., of course, we have no, uh, because of our federal system, it's very difficult for the national government to make a commitment uh, unless there is a national law, and we really do not have a national law, although we're working on that at the present time. Um, so the the concern is it, the, the divide at uh, at uh, in the negotiations uh, leading up to Copenhagen or over a number of issues. Um, um, most developing countries and uh, and until uh, the Obama administration, the U.S. Uh, tended to equate uh, economic uh, progress with emissions. In other words, uh, it takes fossil fuels to have economic development. And um, and there, I mean, therefore, if you have fossil fuels, you have carbon dioxide emissions, and we're just going to have uh, we're going to have global warming and climate change. And um, it's it's really difficult to convince people that um, what we really need are energy services, and those need not come from the burning of fossil fuels. And um, and so I think one of the one of the directions we need to go in the negotiations is basically to emphasize uh, the process of of uh, providing those energy services. I mean, what we're negotiating now basically is a pollution control treaty. Right? It basically yep. says you know uh, we'll stop polluting by this much by certain year. You know, twenty percent by twenty twenty. We'll reduce by twenty percent by twenty twenty. And so that's a pollution control treaty, and we do have to get the emissions down. Um, but the uh, developing countries are all saying, "Oh, we need uh, we need to develop." So suppose we turned it around into an agreement which said um, it is the right of every citizen of the planet uh, to have essential energy services provided in a way that does not destroy the climate system. 
And so instead of having a pollution treaty where we, where we say, yeah, and we'll provide some financial assistance to poor countries but then never do it, we turn it around and say our first goal is to have these um, uh, is to is to begin uh, introducing the technologies and the practices that will, first of all, be much more efficient than what we do today, and secondly, with the now relatively small amount of uh, of energy required to supply them, that can now be supplied by renewable energy and other other alternatives. That would be excellent. Are you seeing some of this decoupling of the energy production? With the need for income and, and development, I mean, well, it's a hard it's a hard sell. I mean, it's even a hard sell in the United States, as we saw when the U.S. Chamber of Commerce let off its blast uh, uh, whenever it was ten days ago. Um, yeah, which the Chamber of Commerce is the biggest opposition the Chamber to of Commerce, this legislation. Yeah. Again, they they're just assuming we have to burn fossil fuels in order for the companies that are members of the chamber to uh, keep making a profit. And in fact, uh, it's costing us enormous amounts of money. To import petroleum, we're importing close to 60% of it now, uh, and we're building these huge natural gas terminals to bring liquefied natural gas from various parts of the world. And many of these parts of the world, frankly, are we're spending other additional hundreds of billions of dollars to uh, defend the shipping lanes and to um, uh, deal with issues in those countries. Uh, and these are not always countries that we would normally want to associate with, but they happen to have the oil and the gas, and therefore we have to be nice to them. Well, isn't Duke Energy in places, they're finding out that, you know, if, if people can reduce their use, yes. they won't have to build a new power plant, and that's well, major That's money. absolutely right, and, and, and that is a whole lot cheaper. And if they can get the same return um, on their investment in energy savings as they would get on building a new power plant, um, that should be fine for them, but but basically we 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 have to still change a lot of rules. I mean, some of these companies, you know, you look at them and 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 weep. Yes. <laughs> uh, but but in but in in honest fact, for some of them, the uh, the regulations we have on protecting um, traditional first half of 20th century style power plants and uh, transmission systems is, in, is is making it impossible for them. To, uh, to, to change course. Um, I mean, this, here's a shocking fact. Um, uh, the, the efficiency of coal-burning power plants in the United States has not improved since about 1964. Right, I know. I mean, this my, is... My son went to school in, in Salem, Massachusetts, and they had a, a project where they had to identify a, 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 a wash tub of dirt, and yeah. uh, his his dirt was obviously right near the Salem power plant because it was full of the carbon fallout from the yes, plant. Right. And uh, so people, and, and usually it's poor people who have to put up with these injustices. No, oh, that's right. And then, then you know, the, um, the the ash spill that took place in Tennessee, all oh, that's yes. being dug up and put next to, being dumped in a... Uh, a um, an, an African American city a town in Alabama as a disposal site, but but what's happening in 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 other parts of the world is really quite interesting. They began in the 1980s and certainly in the 1990s to aggressively build capacity with renewable energy and so on. I mean, in January 2008, I was in Germany for a, a, a meeting of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Uh, we're doing a report on uh, renewable energy and climate change, and that was the first meeting. And um, the, um, the the equivalent of the governor of the of the German state we were in 
proudly announced that in 2007 they'd produce 39% of their electricity by wind power. Great. That was two years ago. Um, almost two years ago. Now, how, how did they do that? Well, they put in place policies to encourage the building of wind turbines. Uh, they are building them onshore. They're building them offshore. Uh, they, um, uh, last year, the German uh, electrical grid uh, demonstrated that even with variable sources like solar and wind, with some combination of hydro and, uh, meth- and, and methane landfill gas, they could actually run a baseload power plant including a kind of a hybrid mixture of, of, of uh, sources uh, for one year at, at constant output. They could keep the output constant. And it was sort of cobbled together because it was a demonstration, but the fact that they could do it uh, really uh, dis, uh, you know, undermines a lot of myths that we can't get there from here with renewable energy, for example. Absolutely. The other thing that's happened internationally is that is 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 um, how much more efficient uh, other countries are. I mean, the average uh, um, a person living in Europe or in Japan uh, produces about half the carbon dioxide we do per dollar of income of the country, or in terms of of population. So you know, we could just go and look and see what these other countries have done, and a lot of it has to do with changing rules about electric power. It has to do with uh, um, with uh, setting incentives for more efficient vehicles. It has to do with um, um, basically encouraging efficiency, and then on top of that, encouraging uh, the uh, use of renewable energy, and that has created these massive industries in in these countries. So. You know, Germany has um, approaching 300,000 employees working on renewable energy right now. Mm. Um, uh, China is uh, about to, um, their uh, uh, one, uh, a single uh, PV solar panel, solar electricity manufacturer, which did not exist in the year 2000, will be um, the largest uh, producer of solar panels in the world this coming year, if you look at the trend. And um, and how did that happen? Well, the Chinese government gave them a billion dollars to get started. We've given our failing automobile industry something like $70 billion, and I'm just asking which was the best investment here. Wow. And they had a more market there. You know, a lot of countries are doing really interesting things and are willing to uh, make commitments to reduce emissions in the process of economic development. And... uh, we're having a hard time coming to that realization in the United States. Uh, tell us some more about the things happening locally. Well, um, some things that are happening locally. Uh, I mean, one of the things I'm very excited about is that um, there is a, a Department of Energy project called the Solar Decathlon. It's been this is the third year of it, and um, and and basically uh, they choose uh, university teams uh, this year 65 i think teams applied and they chose 20 and each university team has to design the students have to design and build a solar house and then assemble it on the mall in washington and uh, that opens tomorrow morning actually on uh, thursday morning the 8th of october and closes on the uh, 16th of october on the mall in washington on the mall in washington that's great. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Professor Mumau after the break.
Thank you for listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Have questions about wind power? Listen for the TLG Wind Power Hour with Terry from TLG Wind Power Products. He'll cover the ins and outs of wind energy with you. Whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or want a ready-made product, let Terry give you the know-how and understanding of making wind energy work for you. Terry will share decades of hands-on experience so that you don't have to learn about wind power the hard way. The TLG Wind Power Hour, live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk Network. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. listening to the green talk network help to spread the green by involving your family and friends you're doing your part and now help them think green spread the green the green talk network you're listening to moyer's environmental dialogues to participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, my guest today is Professor Mumau, and we're talking about climate change and these are, these are the times to be addressing chi- climate change. Uh, we're seeing, you know, lethal overheatings and fatal freezings and toxic tides swirling around the world with ocean acidification and, uh, the list goes on of the challenges that we're having to confront, you know, changing weather patterns and so forth. So actions need to be done. The reductions need to be taken. And the talk is, calls for 20% reduction. Professor, uh, what does that number mean, and how do we get there? 
Well, it means that you have to be very careful about what is the reduction from where. Um, the international rules are from 1990 levels, but we're about 14% above those already, and we were supposed to reduce by 7 by 2012, and we're not going to make that, obviously. Uh, but it's um, it's uh, a lot of people are saying, well, from 2005, that's kind of what the U.S. legislation is. So uh, if if we, I think the Euro- Europeans use 2000 as their base year, uh, but actually with the financial uh, meltdown, uh, emissions are actually going down this year, uh, last year, and this year, uh, which is not that's the, a silver not, lining to the financial. That's not the great way to do it, by the way. Uh, much better to invest to make them go down and. There's an awful lot that can be done. I mean, 20% is, uh, you know, it sounds like a lot, but it's, it's really, it's 2% a year. Um, uh, I've pointed out that at 3% a year, we can actually, uh, uh, and, and take 3% of the previous year, we can go, we can be down by 50% in, uh, in, uh, by, by shortly after 2050. Um, and, um, and, and what is, what, what does that mean? I mean, if you say 2 or 3% a year, what does that involve? I mean, 3% a year means for the average American uh, driving one mile less per day during that year. Um, actually, in Boston, it probably means uh, uh, driving not so aggressively one day a month. <laughs> mm. <laughs> You'd probably save enough to, uh, to meet that goal. Uh, but, um, but, but the way you could do that, since the average American commutes uh, 30 miles uh, round trip each day, that means that the, if, if you worked from home one day, you'd, you'd meet your 3% goal. If you carpooled with somebody one day a month, you would meet that goal. And um, then when you're ready to trade in your car, if you trade it in for a vehicle that's twice as efficient, it turns out that, that over the life of that car, which is about 14 years, the new car, uh, you'll be saving 5% a year, uh, which is better than 3% a year. Um, if you replace your 1993, pre-1993 refrigerator, which is about when it ought to be replaced, it's now about, se- it's, it's, it's approaching 17 years, which is a kind of a, a lifetime for a refrigerator. Um, you, your new Energy Star refrigerator will uh, be 10% bigger and uh, will use uh, half the electricity. Um, so you'll basically and get rid of the old refrigerator. Don't put it in the basement and fill it with soda and beer, which is what a lot of Americans do. Uh, but if you really get rid of it and dispose of it properly, uh, we'll be you'll be reducing your your energy use and your emissions by half, and getting exactly the same cooling services you got before. In fact, you'll be getting ten percent more than you were getting before, and saving money in the process. And that's equivalent to about a four percent reduction per year over the life of the new refrigerator. Um, we've already mentioned changing light bulbs, and um, uh, by 2012, uh, it will, you, you will not be able to buy the inefficient incandescent light bulbs that we've been using since Thomas Edison developed them in 1875. We're actually going to get into the 21st century with some new technology, and 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 these these uh, devices um, are. Um, I mean, the, the, the compact fluorescent lamps and other things, you know, only use a quarter of the electricity of a, of a regular lamp, of a, of a tungsten lamp. Uh, but they're new light-emitting diode lamps, uh, which will only uh, use one-sixth of the electricity to produce the same amount of light. Um, and the first one of those has been submitted to the Department of Energy for testing and verification. Um, That's excellent. What you're saying is just by making small changes in the way we live, that's right. Um, we can uh, easily uh, 
help everyone get to that 2 or 3% right. reduction. Uh, uh, making year. your house more efficient. I mean, these energy audits that utilities are doing are such a bargain, and the tax benefits of doing so are great. I mean, $1,500 uh, ta- basically tax I mean, you just $1,500 for free, paid for right. by the federal government uh, to insulate the pipes in your basement or uh, to put some insulation in your walls. Um, Tell us it, about your house. Well, um, we have done a lot of things. We've, we've reduced uh, uh, energy use in existing houses by two-thirds, but we wanted to try to start from scratch. So uh, about four years ago, my wife and I decided to try to do that, and with the help of a, of a very good architect and engineer and a, and a wonderful contractor, uh, we built a house which uh, is designed to be zero net energy, meaning it will not use any more energy than it produces. So it's in Massachusetts. Um, it um, it um, is um, passive solar design with uh, solar electric panels on the roof connected to the grid. At nighttime, I draw from the grid. In the daytime, I export to the grid as well as supply my own, my own electricity. And um, the house is super insulated. It's super comfortable. Um, it's super healthy because of the ventilation system. Uh, and uh, it's just all around a much better house than I've ever lived in. Uh, and it, it's been certified as using um, uh, 86% less energy than a house of that size. So even if I were to use, oh, and by the way, it uses no fossil fuels at all, no propane, no gas, no oil to heat it, uh, use an electric stove, um, and it has all the appliances, but they are the most efficient appliances, and, and we could not do this if we didn't use efficient lighting and efficient appliances and design a house that, is, um, that, that uses uh, only 14% as much energy to heat as a standard house. Of That's that remarkable size. because here I live just down the street, and we have to pay you know, an inordinate amount to heat our houses in the wintertime, and right. then uh, my electric bill goes up in the summertime with the air conditioning. Yes, right. Up. Well, actually, you can read about it on the. If you go to that website I mentioned, uh, there's a there's a, a magazine story. It links to a magazine story about the house, and you can learn. People can learn something about it. Um, Tell us about um, what's coming up in, uh, around 350 parts per million. Well, 350 parts per million was. Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure Bill McKibben gets the credit for that. Um, and he looked at what everybody was saying, and, and uh, three years ago they were saying we have to be at 550 parts per million, and I and others said, well, 450 is, is, is far more desirable. And then Bill McKibben said, well, you guys aren't stretching far enough. You need 350. And in reality, he's right. That is, if we really don't want to have the, uh, the, the problems we're already seeing, we should be back at 350. We're already at 385, almost 390 right now. And uh, and pre-industrially, uh, the world was at 280. So yeah. even 350 will get us more warming, global warming, and some impacts compared to 280. But the, the but if we could get back to that, and it will take us decades to do so, but we can do we, you know we could potentially do it if we put our minds to it. The technologies are there. Uh, what we're short on are the uh, enabling policies by governments, uh, the international agreement. Uh, necessary to make that happen, and finally, the will of um, everyone, uh, from politicians to each of us individually, uh, doing what we can uh, to uh, to reduce our energy use overall and our emissions in particular. 
And um, let me just just close with one example. In in 1905, um, only 3% of homes had electric power. And um, Henry Ford was building 14 cars a day in his factory. But 50 years later, in, in 1955, how many people were still using gas lights and how many people were driving horses and buggies? And in 2005, only 3% of our electricity was produced by renewable energy. And we had only about a tenth of a percent of our vehicles as hybrid electrics. Why, why don't we think we can make it between here and 2055 with a dramatic restructuring of our economy and our energy use and the way we get energy services and we do them so much more efficiently? Um, I, I think we can do it. I think it's really feasible and, um, and that we'll actually end up better off, healthier, less environmental impact, less climate damage, and uh, and 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 uh, less conflicts over resources, and um, and we'll all and we we and our our children and grandchildren will live better lives. Well, it really comes down to education and what you you do so well with at Tufts University is helping us understand how that we can uh, bring about these changes, how that you know we can do away with lead and gasoline and and carbonated fluorocarbons or whatever in the... Right, and, and, and that was going to be the end of the world if we did that at the time. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And, and, and we adapted. Once, we, once with knowledge, people can act wiser. And, That's exactly uh, right. Absolutely. You know, this is, this is, it's really important that, uh, that you've taken the time to speak to everybody and, and influence people and, and, and uh, I don't know about influence, but inform people <laughs> of, yeah. uh, of these whole situations. Uh, it's a great program I see over there at Tufts that, that you're, you're operating um, on many levels. Well, we're working on many levels and, and among other things, trying to reduce our emissions uh, at the university. Um, as I mentioned, we've got these students working with the Boston Architectural College students to design and build this house on the mall. They're in competition with 19 other university teams. And I can tell you the innovations. I was down there last Saturday. The innovations in these 20 buildings are just astounding. And, and and this is done by a group of, of, of college students. Um, I, I'd like to mobilize our government and our major corporations to uh, take these ideas and come up with even better ones or more of them or something and uh, help us make the transition. Yeah, so much of our technologies that we rely on today came from college students. That's right. That's right. So they're at it again. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the youth. That's right. Um, I'm going to um, ask you to um, stay on with us while I bring on David Wilmon after the break. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Green Talk Network. Help to spread the green by involving your family and friends. You're doing your part. Now help them think green. Spread the green. The Green Talk Network. All together now. 
all together now. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Experience higher love, an archangelic journey into ascended joy and authentic living. Your hosts, Sri Ram Ka and Kira Ra, will assist you to open your heart, expand your love, and be ever-present with true joy. Your journey with Sri and Kira begins right here on the 7th Wave Network with Higher Love, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. The Green Talk Network is here. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We've been speaking with Professor William Mumau of Tufts University, and we're talking about the uh, urgent need to address climate change, to work toward uh, 350 parts per million carbon in the atmosphere, to uh, try to bring about a 20% reduction, which is uh, only 2% a year, and how easy it is to do 3% per year. At the beginning of our episode, this episode, uh, the professor talked a bit about uh, the efforts in Washington to pass legislation and how that, uh, if that doesn't come together, which doesn't seem likely now, uh, that Copenhagen will need uh, strong actions being taken by the EPA. So for this last segment, uh, we're joined with Dave Wilmot from Ocean Champions, and Dave's going to update us with what's going on with the environment in Washington. Dave, how are you? Hi, I'm very good, Rob. How are you? Excellent. Um, I've been hearing fabulous stuff about this harmful algal bloom legislation that, that deals with hypoxia, the dead zones, and red tide. Yes, and I have more, more good news today, but I wanted to, to digress to begin. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I had the opportunity to have dinner with the Senate Majority Leader last Friday, and unfortunately at that point we, we were told that it did indeed look like the Senate was not going to act on the climate legislation this year. Um, so it, it does seem that this week all of our kind of our concerns have been confirmed, that, that for a variety of reasons it's not going to be able to move. But uh, as you all have discussed, that does not mean 
that the United States can't go take a leadership role and, and do something very, very strong and, and critically important in Copenhagen. And for, for ocean champions and all of us working on the ocean, we constantly are struggling with trying to get oceans into this conversation as well. And at the Ocean Champions reception last week where we were honoring members of Congress, Congressman Baird uh, was there. And Congressman Baird, of course, has been our champion on one of our champions on the harmful algal bloom bill, but he's also been a real leader on ocean acidification and, and climate. And he had this wonderful analogy of since the oceans produce 50% of our oxygen, he said for people who don't think that climate change and ocean acidification, these are problems, try taking only every other breath. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a wonderful way to to think about it and keep it in the front of our minds. So sorry to digress there, but, but I just a lot of relevance on this climate issue for the oceans and, and things that we've been, been working on. So I'm confident we're going to get this done. It's just going to take a, a little bit longer. So on the harmful algal blooms, um, the bill just passed the full committee. Uh, that's the Science and Technology Committee in the House this morning. Uh, Chairman Gordon took Chairman Baird's bill and put it forward. Uh, some amendments were challenging it. Uh, they were defeated. Uh, they would have only slightly weakened it anyway, to be honest. There was no real assault on the bill at all. Um, but a very strong bill has now passed the Senate and the House. Uh, and now we just need to get floor action uh, in both chambers. And, and we continue to work with leadership uh, to ensure that that happens, uh, hopefully, uh, this year. But uh, everything is lined up. and. The one thing I'll, uh, the two things I'll say is the bill is a, is a very strong bill. A lot of compliments need to go out to, to the champions in the House and the Senate. But was, what was really striking uh, on this is the bipartisan nature. And Chairman Gordon really complimented Chairman Baird, and as did minority members, Republican members, uh, for working in a bipartisan fashion on this bill. It's extremely difficult in this Congress to work that way. Uh, but I'm very happy to say that that uh, the, the champions on this and, and with our help, uh, we've been able to have very strong Republican and Democratic support, liberals all the way to conservatives supporting this bill. So it's really exciting. We, we were hoping that um, we might hear from our man on the floor there. I was hoping Mike Dunmire could jump on. Uh, Mike Dunmire and Patrick Collins, both with Ocean Champions, were at the hearing um, and they were they were tweeting live to give updates on what was happening. That's why I'm able to report it. Um, but but they obviously haven't been able to get away. The hearing may still be going on actually on some other issues. Um, but doesn't look like he's going to jump on. Maybe next week we can get a a, a, a first hand account from Mike. If listeners want to hook into the tweeting, should they? Um, how could they do that? Should they go to your website or? If they go to the Ocean Champions website, they can uh, they can sign up with in whatever other form they like to communicate, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or email or whatever the case may be, and that's uh, www.oceanchampions.org. Thank you, um, uh, Professor uh, Mumau. Um, have you um, heard these kinds of stories of uh, every other breath? I, I think that's a great analogy. I think we need things like that, uh, just as I. I you know, I was making the uh, the argument about um, uh, you know a uh, hundred years ago when we shifted from horses and buggies to automobiles and from uh, gas lamps to electric lights. I'm sure there were people then who 
uh, were opposing it because it would undermine the buggy industry. And uh, fortunately, they didn't succeed. And I'm hopeful that those who are opposing innovations now uh, will not succeed either. Uh, we, we just have a much brighter future uh, with uh, by by getting our energy services in a, in a in a new way that doesn't acidify the oceans and change the climate system. Yes, exactly. Um, I don't. Um, I don't know which of you to ask, but um, uh, could, could one of you explain a little bit about what the EPA will do if um, there's no legislation and there won't be any, I guess, and, at Copenhagen? David, do you want to try that? Go, since go ahead. <laughs> what? Well, I, my understanding is, uh, you know, the Supreme Court uh, ruled in um, Massachusetts versus EPA that uh, that uh, basically that yes, carbon dioxide was a pollutant under the Clean Air Act, and therefore uh, EPA, and EPA, as the uh, as the claimants argued, uh, needed to regulate it, and. Um, so um, if you think of the way EPA regulates other pollutants from automobiles and power plants and so forth, uh, that would involve setting some standards, and then uh, power plants and automobiles would have to meet them. Uh, that's pretty straightforward and pretty simple, uh, but, um, but, but it might not be the most uh, uh, cost-effective way of, of achieving those goals. So... My understanding is that uh, that at least uh, the uh, the U.S. will be able to go to Copenhagen in December and say, "Well, we have some regulations in place because they have a, they're in the 60-day comment period right now." As of my understanding for EPA on this, and um, and they'll have the uh, executive order on on agencies, and they'll have at least one House of Congress having passed some, and maybe two, uh, but not an agreement yet. So I think the goal is to use this uh, as a as a lever on Congress, and then if Congress doesn't actually come up with it, then the uh, the Obama administration will uh, will proceed to move ahead. Um, We're out of time, but I, but I want to thank there's both really of you for helping us we'll do learn that. more about climate change. All right, so we did it. <laughs> we got to cut the idea. Are you with us? Yes. Thank you for your good words. Okay, thank you for having me. And hi, Rob, Mike Dunmire just joined. I apologize for all the background noise. I'm on a street in D.C. just off Capitol Hill. (laughs) Oh, great. Well, we we missed you. (laughs) But uh, Uh, the system works. You can call in and that works, so I'm glad it works. It just ended, Mike. again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. We'll talk again then. Stop being